0: You are now listening to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Wait, the answer was Add 10 Gallons? Add 10 Gallons? My first thought was, we got to put oxygen on it. Yeah, great. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Trucks on the way, way. <laughs> on the way.
2: On the way. Yeah, okay, I've got two observations, neither uh, of which are really educated or well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> which are like most of my observations are.
0: There aren't a lot of problems on a job site that can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits.
2: Today's episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is brought to you by ActiGel 208. ActiGel 208 is a high-performance additive for the concrete industry that is greatly beneficial to the producer. It enables them to increase the percentage of manufactured sand by up to 100% and completely replace all the natural sand in the mix. In areas where natural sand is scarce, inconsistent, and expensive, this provides a huge benefit to any ready-mix company out there. Benefits of manufactured sand and concrete include consistent air content, improved compaction, and increased density. Now, in the past, the downside of using manufactured sands was that they were hard to pump, hard to place, and hard to finish. While well, Actigel 208 solves all those issues by improving suspension, stability, and the quality of the cement paste in the mix. ActaGel overcomes the old issues with manufactured sand and leaves them behind. Let ActiGel 208 improve the quality of your mix while saving money on every yard you produce. For more information, visit us at actagel.com. That's A-C-T-I-G-E-L dot com.
3: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. My name's Josh, but if you're an avid listener, you already know that.
0: And I'm also joined by Joey and Paul. Paul, what's good? Well, you said Joey's name first, so uh, switching it up. Already, uh, this podcast is off to a bad start.
3: Keeping you on your toes is all. Joey, you got something more positive to to bring to the table here? (laughs) Hey,
2: man, I woke up this morning. That's positive enough for me right now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're all on the same team tonight. We are on the eve of the College Football National Championship, and uh, we're rowing the boat for the SEC here, if if I can uh, assume as much. Paul,
0: early predictions. What do you think? I think the dogs roll into title Town and come home back-to-back. I mean, they're favored by 13.5. And, and there's a reason they're favored by 13.5. I don't think TCO's uh, linebackers as good as they are, and they are actually pretty legit, they're not going to be able to contain Brock Bowers. And that's that's the end of the story. I mean, that's it right there. Look for Brock Bowers to have two touchdowns by himself tonight. He could have 120 yards from the tight end position. He's going to just absolutely dominate those fools. It's going to be over. Right. Joey, you got anything? No, I think Georgia covers it. No problem. Did you watch the Michigan game? Yeah. Okay, so I've watched TCU a couple of times this year. The receivers are legit. Mm-hmm. Like anybody, oh, that, they're not a
3: bad football team. If, if, you ha-
0: if you haven't watched TCU at all, they have two receivers they are like six foot four. Or they say they're six foot four, but they look big, and they can catch and they can run. Yeah, and that's that's hard to defend. Now Georgia's got that boy Keely Ringo. who was a five star prospect, like the number one cornerback coming out of high school a couple of years ago. I think he kind of lives off that rating. Actually, dude gets toasted every really? game. Gets burned. Every game. And then he also makes some like ridiculous game saving interception in the same game. Yeah. So the problem is, is like, which Keeley Ringo are you going to get at the right time or the wrong time? And so when I see those TCU receivers going ham, I think they're going to toast that boy. And so I think the game might be closer than the experts think, mm. if I can uh, borrow a phrase from Lee Corso. But I still think dogs roll.
2: Are we pulling for Georgia? I know we all predicted Georgia would win. Are we pulling for Georgia?
0: Yeah. Like Josh says, it's the SEC versus everybody. Get out of here.
2: Yeah, but, you know, y'all ain't got to live with Georgia fans. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. We well, are, we're
3: several states removed from people barking at grown men. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> this... Hey,
2: I told, uh, I told a couple other friends that uh, uh, in a group message a while ago that I have, you know, two goals for my children right now as a, you know, a dad with uh, two under three. One of those goals is for my both of my children to make enough of an income for themselves. They don't have to sell essential oils or diet programs on the side. My second goal was that they don't grow up and bark at people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was good.
3: <coughs> for the sake of good audio, I had to stifle my laughter out of your, after your first point.
0: <laughs> um, so you say we're like removed up here from Georgia fans, but I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody in this company I deal with. Our company's, uh, like, all the operations are in Georgia. Everybody I talk to is in Georgia. I'm yeah. surprised that, like, all their voicemails aren't just dogs barking. <laughs> well, yeah, but I don't know. It, it seems like I don't,
2: I don't ever get that side of, you know, anybody we talk to. Like, engineering, engineering guys, they're all from Georgia, except for Marty. And uh, I don't know. They just never talk football with me. I never hear them talk about Georgia football. The only people I hear talk about Georgia football are, you know, everybody else that I'm in contact with, that's a Georgia fan. But nobody from work, oddly enough.
0: Maybe I just don't talk to nobody. That's the real answer. He just doesn't talk to anybody. He's yeah. too busy talking to the former CEO, trying to get out to his ski lodge, <laughs> and planning in their staycation out here during the World of Concrete next week. Speaking of which, hey, he contacts me. <laughs> <by the way. laughs> Speaking of which, World of Concrete, Josh, what do you got to tell the people?
3: Well, we'll be there. That's what I got to tell the people. It'll be, it'll be a good time. We have several uh, interviews lined up. We're going to some releases.
0: The product releases, like companies are putting on, like this is our new stuff. and Yeah. Uh, so, so for those that don't know, because you missed last episode, the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is an official press partner at World of Concrete, and uh, we will be there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We will be there with both video and audio capabilities. So if you're a company and you want to get the name out there and you want a sophisticated concrete audience, uh, then we're your guys. So give us a shout. You can catch us on LinkedIn or any of our other social media pages, add 10 gallons concrete podcast, we will be there, we'll have the camera, we'll have the mic, we're gonna be doing audio stuff, video stuff, and uh, it'll be all over the show. So you don't have to come to us, we can come to you. uh, Or we also have a spot where you can come to us and we can actually put on a show as well. So uh josh yep. josh is coordinating that so if you just reach out to us at any of our social media stuff add 10 gallons concrete podcast and we'll get linked up
3: yep yep absolutely yeah we're coming straight to the booth for uh, some of our contacts that have new products that they want to put on display and and show to the industry which is awesome but then we'll also have like a backdrop and a little bit of a um, a press space they have a, a room just for press credentialed people um so we'll set up a you know a desk with a few mics and a backdrop and make it all look real good and We'll probably come with a couple like standalone podcast episodes, but then we'll also have that video content that you're talking about, and we'll put that on LinkedIn, YouTube, and spread that around to the masses with the, the video element. So it'll be a good time.
0: Yeah, and you know, just numbers wise, the engagement that we get on social media with the stuff—I mean, it's the engagement ends up being tens of thousands. Um, you know, views are less than that, as everybody knows, but as far as engagements on social media, tens of thousands. So if you're looking for uh, you know, super niche, but well informed, well educated, and highly interested, highly motivated audience. Where your space for that? Yeah, so the please. people you
3: actually want to talk to. Yeah,
0: people you actually want to talk to. Yep. Yep. It'll be interesting to see the demographics this year. Well, this is a tough year for World of Concrete. I don't want to. I don't want to minimize the show. We're going. We're partners. Let's rock and roll. Oh yeah, they got some Earth. competition every three years, right? But ConEx this year. Yeah, so people are having to make a decision. Am I going to Conag am I going to world of concrete am I doing both and most of the time you it, you know you got senior leaders in these companies and they're not going to take time to do both right. and they end up going to Conag uh, to that way they can get the equipment side of it they buying plants they buying blowers like you know let's go trucks you know let's go check that stuff out uh, and the world of concrete um, is just a, like almost like an added bonus and they may be sending some of their lower guys but uh, with Conag I think Conag is in March this year is that right Correct. Yep.
3: Yep. March 14th through the 18th is Con Ag. And then, of course, the War of Concrete is the 16th through the 19th. That is uh, one week from now as we're recording this on the 9th. And you're probably hearing it uh, when, for the first time on the 10th. So, yeah, next week we'll be there. Looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, we're talking about, you know, the attendees and stuff like that for World of Concrete. Con Ag is on deck for uh, almost double the attendance versus 2020. You know, 2020 in March was kind of like at almost that tipping point, I guess, of COVID. You know, it was, it was out there, but I don't think anything had really uh, shut down or anything yet. But people were kind of maybe on the fence about going places uh, like uh, Con Ag, you know, big convention. Versus 2020, Con is going to have double the people there, or at least double the people registered. And I also read on their uh, press release that they sent out. I saw where there's going to be 2.8 million square feet of exhibits you know counting the stuff outside uh in the new hall that they have it's holding a record for the amount of exhibit space and i kind of figured that up that's 60 something acres of exhibit that is insane i don't know how much y'all know about land i live on seven and a half (laughs) (laughs) it'd take me a minute to walk around this thing but 60 something acres of stuff to go see that is insane yeah no doubt that
3: new hall is really really nice um, Joey and I got to see that for the first time I we went to World of Concrete, um, a year and a half ago, but then they also have the underground tunnel system for you to get around all that so, a lot easier now. That's okay. uh, yeah. 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 Definitely go. Just check that out because I've, it's an engineering marvel. It's let's say you awesome. Gotta, you have to go try that, right? You're yeah. going to at least do it once. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going there. <laughs> <laughs>
3: They're going to take me to my destination, but no, no, no. Just keep driving around for a little bit.
0: You want, <laughs> to, you want to know a fun fact? All right. So Joey was talking about how, uh, things shut down like March of 2020. The last trip I took, March of 2020, was the first week of March, actually. And you want to know how I remember that it was the first week of March? While I was in Philadelphia for an event, that was where I first met my now wife. No kidding. First week of March, right as the pandemic hit. We actually talked for three months before we ever met because I was scared to death of the pandemic until about June. Right. And then when June hit, I was like, all right, my two-year-old is not going to get sick from this. You know, it's fine to get out and do what you got to do. Right. You know, I was looking around the industry, though, and there's uh, there, there always seems to be like this little bit of apprehension when you're on these job sites. It always feels like everybody's really excited because concrete, uh, as much talk as there is about recessions, it hasn't slowed down at all. The pandemic didn't hardly slow down most things. It, it did for a minute and then it came almost completely right back I mean it was because it was a real brief pause and we saw it in some of these major cities where these projects got uh canceled uh but then they ended up coming back later so concrete's just been rip-roaring and there's one part of the industry where I say there's a little apprehension is that like it was it kept rip-roaring but it always felt like there was never enough people like we we've talked on here a few times about how it always felt like there where's the labor like where is the labor where are these people and there's an interesting article out there about concrete mixer drivers and how every company or I'm sorry every organization out there that has like people have to move freight in some way that have CDL drivers that they're all complaining there's a shortage any kind of freight company is complaining there's a shortage of drivers and you know the ready mix driver survey came out and said the exact same thing but the Reason why there's a shortage was more interesting to me and what the numbers kind of say. So the numbers actually say that the number of drivers, there are exactly the same number of drivers available this year as there were last year, but the business actually shot up 9% as an industry shot up 9%, but we didn't increase the amount of drivers available to drive those loads nine percent so if you were already tight and then you're now you're doing ten percent more business ten percent more loads going out the door but you don't have any people to take those loads you feel like you're short all the time
1: yeah
2: I think before COVID that was even an issue
0: it seems like it's been an issue in the industry
2: for several years now Uh, just people not being able to, to have enough mixer drivers or not maybe not having enough or not being able to keep mixer drivers I think it's just been a constant in the industry for several years now pre-COVID.
0: What do you Joey, what do you guess the average age of a mixture truck driver is? I bet you in their mid thirties, the average age. What do you think, Josh? 52. 47.
1: Mm,
0: 47 years old is average. What do you think the average age of a truck driver in general in this country is? I'll tell you, it's 46 years.
3: I see I would have went lower because a lot of your truck well, here's the thing, a lot of your truck drivers who are quote unquote new they are younger but they i mean they're also of like foreign descent or they're making career changes they're not they're not experienced truck drivers i guess is what i'm saying
0: and <laughs> the interesting thing is the like average time that a truck driver has been a truck driver 7 years mm-hmm. do you know what the average of like take all american workers doing all jobs the average is only 4 years
3: so in how, their current position, you mean?
0: Yeah, how like what is the average tenure for all American workers for like any job? And it's oh, okay. It's four years. Wow. So hmm. pretty interesting that truck drivers and ready mix drivers are like almost lo- more loyal. Um, yeah. And I that that's interesting to me. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought that. I feel like I see a lot of turnover in that space. But seven years being the average, being like the median or whatever, that's pretty interesting. That's a tough statistic to kind of wrap my head around, though. Um, Because let's say someone was an over-the-road
3: truck driver, and they didn't want that life anymore. They're trying to start a family. They want to start and stop from the same place every single day now. So when you switch from over-the-road driving and then you switch to a dump truck or a ready-mix truck, is that changing, or does your experience still factor into that metric there?
0: Yeah, I bet you it's probably – industry it has to be industry right? yeah because I mean, if you're driving for schneider trucks one day and then you you know jump over to one you know old dominion freight lines like there's no yeah it has to be industry right I would, yeah
3: I'd, I'd think so i'd hope so anyway. i would think so that would make that seven year metric make more make sense. a lot more sense
2: yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah the reason and the reason i thought that the average age was so young i guess is because of the uh i think it's because of the turnover or i would have thought it was because of the turnover that you know, that I see personally going to all these ready-mix plants, you know, in the Southeast or just wherever, it seems like there's a lot of young guys. Every time, I, every plant I go to and talk to somebody, plant managers, they're always training new guys, and they're young guys. And uh, the older guys are always complaining about the new guys because the new guys don't know nothing, you know, of course. The more things change, <laughs> the more they stay the same. Yeah, exactly. That was another reason I said it was, it seems like it's been a constant in the industry since before COVID. Uh, just can't keep drivers a lot of new drivers, a lot of young drivers, just that I've seen. Yeah.
0: So, like the number one response from concrete companies when they said, What are the challenges of hiring concrete drivers? was hiring anybody with experience. They are more willing right now, ready mix producers are, they are more willing right now to hire a new CDL guy. Uh, that percentage, they used to be about 50% likely, like, you know, it's 50 50. Now it's 68% is is their favorability you, you you poll all the companies and 68 percent of them are willing to hire guys with new cdls uh, but that's what they say but what is what do the stats actually bear out well it turns out they're only hiring like it's less than five percent of ready mix drivers that are hired are new cdl holders right yeah isn't that interesting so everybody's like yeah i'm willing i'm willing yeah, yeah i'll do whatever i got to do but then you know one out of 20 Less than one out of 20 of your hires are actually new CL, CDL holders. And, you know, really, that's probably who, where we need to go with it, right? Okay, so – and then to back that up, just one more stat to back that up because uh, I know everybody just loves hearing me read stats. Uh, the producers willing to recruit 18- to 21-year-olds with a CDL, which is something we talk about on here a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Guys, get out of high school if you're, you don't need college, if you don't want college. There's good paying jobs. Well, this is one of them concrete yeah. truck drivers, a good paying job. Mm-hmm. Truck drivers in general. Truck drivers in yeah. general. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, in, our, in our business, 18 to 21 year old CDO holders, the uh, willingness to recruit them increased 25%. Uh, but what was the most interesting about that is the disparities across regions. So, if you were in the north central states here in the United States, Uh, they were 93% more likely to hire somebody 18 to 21 than any other region.
3: You'd be amazed at what you could do when you have to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And and I think some of the hesitancy there is, uh, you know, of course hiring someone inexperienced, but I bet these companies just pay out the nose for insurance. I think that's what drives the apprehension to hire younger drivers, new CDL holders, I think a lot of what drives that is just the insane insurance rate th- that these companies are probably paying. And now you get into a, a point where your demand raised 10%, but your workforce didn't, and now you're just hiring people because you have to hire people. So if you can hire a 20-year-old with a new CDL, it's better than
0: not having enough drivers. Yeah, I I mean, Mike Rowe's been on a big kick about all this stuff, too. We've talked about Mike Rowe in here before, and you know he's saying that there's like 7 million able-bodied men that just – Aren't even trying it. I know. I know. You know he just yeah. came out last week and said that.
2: Paul, I think uh, what was the average tenure of a truck driver or ready mix truck driver you said? Seven years? I think so, yeah. If I read this correctly. <laughs> yeah. I'd be curious to see what the tenure average tenure is of a like a new truck driver. Like I mean, what's the average tenure of a guy fresh out of CDL, get jumps on a concrete truck as his first job. I'd be I'd be interested to see that number. What that average? You don't think it's very long? Is that what
0: you're saying? I don't think it's very high. Just the turnaround, like we mentioned earlier. Yeah, but why is there turn? Why is there turnaround? I mean, that's that's the question. I think because you were uh, so you were so quick to say that, like you were so oh yeah they're not going to stay. Why? not it's turnaround. Yeah, yeah, but why is there turnaround? Why is this eighteen year old or nineteen year old or twenty year old not willing to deliver that concrete down the street? I mean, how good paying job. And you get to be home every night. Your deliveries aren't that far. I mean, it's you know,
2: why why wouldn't they want that? I mean, I can't imagine. I couldn't imagine being eighteen or nineteen years old jumping in a concrete truck, you know, knowing what I know now, and delivering concrete to random job site. You're gonna get yelled at as soon as you get on the job site because you don't know where nothing's at. Cause you ain't never been there before. You get to the you back up to whatever you know, flat work pump whatever. Concrete's not right. Well, they're gonna yell at you, of course, because you've got the concrete truck or you've got the concrete. What's wrong with this concrete? Dude, I just drive a truck. You know, I don't know nothing about concrete just yet. I went through maybe two or three weeks of orientation or a month of orientation and probation and whatever. And first first day out on the job, somebody's cussing you out. Then of course you probably run in late for obvious reasons, all kinds of reasons. Uh, Then you're probably working a 14-hour day, maybe. Or maybe you're having to work at night. Uh, Coming to the plane at midnight. Maybe you get off at noon the next day.
0: (laughs) Uh, If you're coming in at midnight, then that's probably one of those jobs where you don't need a CDL. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's – I mean, I think there's just so – there's just things that they don't – I mean, they ain't going to tell you that in CDL school about all this stuff that you're going to encounter. It may be a culture shock for some of these guys. Or girls, or whoever's, you know, fresh out and rolling up to these uh, job sites.
3: We like to theorize on this show, so here's my theory. It's a generational thing. People these days are soft. Each generation gets softer than the last. And there's a lot of people with good-paying jobs, and they have to work harder than they want to or feel like they should, so they're always looking for an easier way to make the same amount of money or more.
1: Mm.
3: You get get guys that have to work late, and they're like, oh, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, you can, bud. You're making good money. Shut up, make good money. Or like, oh, I don't like the way I'm treated here. You think you think it's different everywhere else? Could be, or maybe you're really not treated that poorly. Maybe you just want to be treated like a king without being a king. You know what I mean? In in my yeah. opinion, it's it's a it's a generational softening from one to the next to the next to the next.
2: I I agree. Yeah, it would be hypocritical of me to criticize the now gener- or the current generation being softer than the previous generation because I'm softer than my dad was 100% and I could have very well taken over the farming business you know taken over my dad's farm and continued farming and made <laughs> scraped away a living just like we did you know just like he did growing up but I didn't I chose to go to college you know and get a secondary education I told, I uh, I chose to get an easier job in construction. Construction's easier than farming. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, and you know, I spent a couple years kind of on the hard side of the construction industry, and I got this current job, which is on the way lighter side of the industry. We can't lie to ourselves; we're on the light side of things.
3: Yeah, it's easier than paving, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's easier than paving. It's easier than driving concrete trucks. It's easier than forming. It's easier than finishing. Mm -hmm. We can't lie to ourselves. So we're, I, I, I would, like I said, I would be a hypocrite for chastising, you know, the current generation for being softer than the previous because I, I mean, if I had to, yeah, I'd drive a concrete truck if I had to, you know, feed my family. But I don't have to, you know, right now. And so I'm choosing to do this job and... I have the opportunity to do, you know, you know, less – I don't want to say less work, but less strenuous work for, you know, pretty good pay. And I, I just can't um, – I have a hard time criticizing those guys for not wanting to do hard stuff. But I did the hard stuff, and I don't want to do it anymore.
1: <laughs> I,
0: my very first time on a concrete job site was at 2 a.m. out in the middle of nowhere, and it was getting cussed up. That was my very yeah. first job ever was having things slapped out of my hand and cussed mm-hmm. out because the concrete wasn't any good.
2: It takes a special person to be willing to do that for years. Uh, I mean, for, for decades even. You, you say the uh, the average concrete driver age was 47, mm-hmm. I think is what you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a long time, especially if, uh, if they had been driving a concrete truck, you know, since they were, what, 20 or so.
0: The... Culture in concrete, I mean, the dudes working on concrete are tough dudes. You're out there, it is tough work. Uh, Half of them don't speak English when you're pulling up to the house to deliver. That's tough. I don't care what anybody says. It's tough because you're communicating with hand signals. And they have a job to do. And if you don't know concrete very well and you're pulling up that truck and they're telling you, you got to do this, you got to do that, but you just left the plant and you're new and they're telling you at the plant, don't you dare touch that concrete because we're responsible for it. You know, you get mm-hmm. there, and you know somebody's yelling and screaming at you. Maybe even in another language that you got to add water to that mix. You got to do something that's this mix; it's wrong. That could be really stressful. Uh, even I mean, getting cussed out at your own plant is going to happen because that's just the business. But I, you know, we're making real generalizations here. We've been to, we've been to plenty of plants where people are are cool.
2: Oh yeah, I mean that stuff doesn't happen all day every day unless it's just a really bad day. So
0: what I would wonder. I'd wonder what the numbers are at those plants where guys are pretty cool and chill. Uh, are they are they having like less turnover of young mm-hmm. people as, op- so. as opposed to would, this, some of these other sites that we that we I know, would think so that we know intimately. Unfortunately,
2: we've been to some some uh, operations plants, uh, not even just uh, ready mix plants, block plants, precast plants, all kinds of different you know facilities and operations, and. I think you can kind of tell when you walk through the door and you spend a few minutes there of how good of a place it is to work. I mean, the people just act different. It's, uh, it's just a little less stressful. People aren't really walking on eggshells, you know, at, at some of these places, versus if we walk through the door, like if we have a, uh, if we have a demo and like a, a VP or some of the higher-ups are there and they want to see, you know, how ActiGel works or what we're doing, the people act differently. They're kind of looking over their shoulder. It's, it's, They just have a different demeanor about them. It, the, the, the the work environment just has to make a huge difference on whether or not guys stay. And a, one, another thing I wanted to kind of mention, we were talking about the, the generational thing. I think younger people nowadays have way more opportunities for work than, say, like my dad. I'll just keep using my dad as a reference. He signed up for the military in mid to late fifties, he was seventeen. Like what opportunities would he have had to earn a living at eighteen back then versus now that didn't involve strenuous labor. Either the military or some kind of strenuous labor versus nowadays, the opportunities are limitless. I mean, I don't know anything about coding, but I guess if you know how to code out of college, you can probably pick up a job somewhere. Or if you know if you know how to code out of high school, you can pick up a job somewhere. And as much as we say, yeah, the, the generation is softer, that's prob- that probably, yeah, is a little bit, uh, is a little true. But you don't have to break your back coming out of high school to make a living.
0: No, and I would actually, you know, companies have a role to play. You know, companies, you can have a good culture or a bad culture. Um, our company is interesting because we're lean and we're small. We're not not a massive corporation. And our team is even more interesting. You know, we've got a small team inside of – well, I'll say small. So we got a a team inside of an existing company, and we are, like, super hardcore with what we do. But when you're working with a whole team of people that are all like-minded like that and all pulling in the same direction, it's actually kind of fun to come to work. And you're, like, really excited to see what everybody's doing, and it makes you want to work hard too. And I would – and so that makes work a little easier. But I think it actually is up to the individual – at the end of the day is like what are your values and your principles that you live by and if you can have you don't have to be perfect or perfectly aligned with everybody you're with but if or one of the principles is integrity one of your values is that you're going to hustle i think hustling i think i don't think there's any substitute for hustle
3: we've said this on (laughs) on multiple podcasts and the one that sticks out in my mind we were talking to seth tandon and we got on that concept of, like, what's the common denominator between your more successful businesses and people's desire to succeed and conviction behind that? Like, nothing, nothing, education, tutelage, experience, nothing outperforms hard work. That's right.
2: If you're going to mess up, do it at
0: 100 miles an hour.
3: <laughs> My high school football coach used to say that all the I time. I used to say that all the time. Yeah. If you're going to mess do. up, do it at 100 miles an hour.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do. I say that all the time. I used to – our former manager, uh, senior vice president, Bob Purcell, shout out, Bobby P., uh, he used to tear into me sometimes. He's like, what in the world were you thinking? And I was like, I wasn't. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was going a hundred miles an hour in that direction, and I'm looking at you. That if you see that I'm headed down the wrong track, that you pick me up, put me on the right track, and I will continue to go 100 miles an hour in pursuit of that goal. And he was like, All right, good to know. <laughs> and he was like, So he kept a little, a little better eye on me <laughs> after that. That's funny. It's also my favorite uh, Bill Burr joke. Bill Burr has a joke about yeah, that. Yeah,
3: about like. He's watching the news, and you know how he gets like all excited. He's so funny. So like something will come on the news, and then he'll start yelling at the TV, and his wife goes, like, how, how can you just go from zero to 100 mile an hour like that at the flip of a switch? He goes, first off, I idle at 70 mile an hour. I'm
1: idling at 70.
2: I said that about my kid the other day because uh, he could. My, my youngest, Parker Boone, he's seven months old today, actually and uh man if you've ever had kids you know it can the world can change just like that yeah it can go from oh man everything is just perfect the kid is content to utter meltdown for the next three hours of your life and but he is just like so high strung it seems like and I, i said that about him and krista made the comment like he goes from zero to 100 at in no time, and I pulled out the Bill Bird joke. I was like, yeah, he idles at seventy five, and that's exactly true. I think most toddlers are like that; they're crazy.
3: Well, good good segue into our guest here then, because you know, speaking of people that idle at seventy mile an hour, uh, we got someone on the podcast here who's one of us for sure, uh, Sarah McGuire with Giatech. She's been on before, and we had her on now for the second time, so she's the uh, an official friend of the pod.
0: There now. you go, yeah, uh, verified hustler, man. Come for the insights on AI, and stick around for the Russian prostitute story.
1: <laughs>
0: no better cliffhanger than that. Whew,
3: Paul outdid me this time with the, with the guest introduction. So without further ado, this is Sarah McGuire. Y'all enjoy it.
0: Sarah, thanks for joining us. Uh, For those who don't remember, Sarah's previous episode was back in the teens. Some of the first uh, episodes we ever did on this show. Uh, She is based in Canada. She is with Geotech. Uh, Why don't you give a refresher course for the people, Sarah, on what it is that Geotech's doing. And then we'll go from there about the growth you guys have had since the last time we talked.
4: Yeah. um, So just as a refresher, Geotech uh, scientific, we're a company based out of Ottawa in Canada. And we just primarily make technology for concrete and what people know us for the most would be the sensors that uh, utilize maturity. Uh, I don't think I said it on the last podcast, but a fun fact is the first building that was made with maturity was the CN Tower out of Toronto, which is only four hours away from us here. So that's kind of neat. But yeah, over the last, I guess I've been with the company for almost eight years now. And over the last five, six years, I'd say we've really started to see an uptick in people using the sensors for just easier testing um, of their concrete, being able to act faster. But we're actually starting to see a huge sustainability element come out of this now as well, just because when you're able to test your concrete more accurately, you're able to get leaner and leaner is good for the bottom line, but of course, it's also good for the environment. So we're really actually starting to see that in more of our European markets as well, just because they they do have some very high committed mandates over there compared to what we have here. But yeah, it's, uh, we've seen a lot of growth in the last year and a half, and I've finally been able to get on the road and actually meet some of my employees that I'd never even met in person before, which was really neat. I did it with a broken foot at one point um, in May. I broke my foot about a week before going to England, and I didn't let it stop me, and it was probably the worst decision <laughs> I could have made. But it was, uh, they are not very accessible to people with injuries over there. It was uh, very, very difficult.
0: How'd you break a foot?
4: Oh, um. I, I, the have real to, story, yeah. the real,
0: the, the, the cool story first, and then the real story. <laughs> <laughs> she was thinking, she was yeah. like, Should I just yeah. admit that I tripped over my, you know, bathroom floor?
4: <laughs> I wish it was that mundane. Um, I feel like it would have been less embarrassing because then, you know, traveling with a foot like that in a work setting and having to explain to people that you broke it during archery tag was just a fun. Um, And if you don't know what archery tag is, it's essentially like dodgeball, but with bow and arrows. And for the first 12 minutes, I was doing really well until I tripped over my own foot. And just, yeah, it was a a nightmare.
2: You have Joey's attention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've always wanted to do that for a team building event, but it always gets shot down. Pun intended.
4: Oh, well, it was really, we did it as a team building event years ago. This one was just for a friend's thirtieth birthday, and really, really fortunately, he is probably best friends with all the male nurses in this city. So I had people just come to my rescue immediately. I just blacked out from the pain. I don't remember, but uh, that was uh, that was very that was a fun experience. And then, of course, just traveling with crutches, I had to bring someone with me just so that they could hold my coffee. You know, you can't even leave the hotel room by yourself. And carry your things because you're just hobbling around the whole time. So I completely underestimated how difficult that was going to be.
2: I'll give you an even more lame broken foot story. (laughs) And it comes, it comes from my wife (laughs) during her first pregnancy, when she was six months pregnant, she got home from work one day and I was in the back yard mowing and I didn't see her come in. And she got out of the car, walked over to the flower bed. She said there was like a a two inch weed coming out of the flower bed and she like bent over to pluck that weed and her foot like was in like some kind of just perfect hole and she just like tipped over broke her foot and was like she said she was laying in the yard for I don't know how many minutes
1: wow and then she
2: like hobbled into the house you know meanwhile I'm just you know Hank Hill mowing in the backyard not don't know a clue about what's going on and she like hobbles out on the back deck and I go over there and Ask her what's going on. She said, I broke my foot. I'm like, did you just get home? Then <laughs> <laughs>
0: she told me the story. And, yeah. Ugh. that's uh
4: While she was pregnant, too, as if it wasn't hard enough.
0: So just off balance, like, didn't realize she had a new center of gravity.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just goes over.
3: So you get off the crutches. I assume you're on a boot then. Oh, well, hold on. Let's, Do you
0: realize what you just did? What? You just... I don't know if this is a uh, Canadian influence, but you said you had a boot. Yeah, well, you I also that? was,
3: like, yeah, choking at the same time, so that's probably where it came from. Not, not that that's a defamination towards the Canadian accent, but I'm just saying it came out by accident. <laughs> what does Canadian sound <laughs> it's, like? You man? put on a flannel shirt, and all of a sudden you, you have a long O. Yeah, all of a sudden it's letter Kenny up in here.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: exactly. Great show, by the way.
4: <laughs> Our claim to fame on that one. Um, you know, it's funny because I had, especially over the last few months, i when was it in october i had it happen about three times in one week where someone said what part of america are you from oh geez said oh no i'm actually from canada and they go you don't have a canadian accent sir what does a canadian accent sound like to you um right. this is how i i don't know this is how i've talked forever but it was so strange because somebody that said this to me was Canadian. One person and I said, I sound just like you. What are you what what are you not hearing right now? It's very strange. And he just said, Oh, it just you don't really have much of an accent, so I just assumed that you grew up in America first. No, no, I just no. this is just what Canadians sound like sometimes.
0: I love this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposedly about concrete. We go in eighteen million different directions. This makes it that's what makes it real. That's it. So you actually had a story you were gonna say a second ago, and then you no, got no, no, I was about choking.
3: I was I was asking Sarah's like so you're on crutches for a minute and then eventually you transition to a boot, I would imagine. And uh, yeah. so then you're hobbling around on a boot. how long, how long did that take until you're actually on two tennis shoes?
4: They said that I had a very quick recovery. you know i'm very I'm very competitive. I don't think that would surprise anyone here um considering I was willing to lose my foot over archery tag that that just shows you know how much I'll push for it but I was very competitive I said you tell me every stretch I need to do you tell me everything I'm gonna have the fastest recovery you've ever seen and sure enough I was able to get my boot off after only two months which was really good and but I just couldn't um get on like heels or anything like that for for a few months after I actually haven't even really started running again since that happened in May but um, that's also because I've been part time or sorry, full time doing my MBA and I've just finished that this weekend. So I'm going to have a little bit more of a normal life after after this and try to get back into it. But my foot wasn't really fully healed until that September. And then that's when I agreed to start traveling again. So
3: awesome. Well, congrats on your master's. Thank you.
0: How long did that take you?
4: Um, it was a year. So that's why I said, you know, I, we're, it was a one year like accelerated program. So. Um, it was, it was a lot. So trying to do that with, you know, waking up at three o'clock in the morning in Dubai to attend class at one point, just because it all kind of happened at once. And I said, I really did not want the year that I was on your podcast. The first time I wanted to do the MBA that year, but because we were so locked up, I did not want to do a program like that behind my computer screen. So I, I delayed it for a year and then, (laughs) but the problem was that, um, everyone was able to come out of the woodwork finally so it was like it was the biggest year for weddings and bachelor parties and everything and it was just like a very weird year to commit that much of my personal time when everything was opening up so that's why i'm so excited to sleep (laughs) in january
0: well i started uh, my mba journey this fall as well so oh wow congratulations so finals were just this weekend and i was up all night friday night you know, as soon as i put the baby to bed it was just you know work 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 till probably i probably was till like midnight and then i had to go to bed my brain cells just weren't working anymore and then saturday you know same thing since kid went to bed it was just finals final exams all night long and, and i felt so felt so dumb that it took me eight hours to complete 15 questions but they were just they were ridiculous and you know uh, joey and i took statistics and probability together in undergrad and I remember now oh, really? why I hated that class. <laughs> was, didn't don't enjoy it the second time around either.
4: yeah no. yeah, it's a long road. Good luck. That is, um, is it a two-year program?
0: Uh, well, it's uh, it's flexible, so it can be anywhere between two and four, depending on what you want to do. And I'm gonna try and do okay. it closer on the two side than the four side.
4: The program that I did was a very. It, it's called an accelerated version, so it, you get it done in a year. There's no breaks. You don't really have like standard finals. It's very. Um, unique that way. Um, there's only two schools that actually offer it in the country. But I did not understand how so many people in the program had children because I could barely feed myself. Like my fiance just did everything for me for the year. Um, and now I owe him the favor back. But um, I, I was like, I'm forgetting to eat. Uh, I don't know how you're managing to feed little ones at the same time, because I can't even remember to like make myself coffee in the morning right now.
0: Well, it's the same thing. You would have had to rely on your partner because that's what I'm. That's what I had to do. Yeah. I mean, they're, every yeah. every night I had class. I was like, all right. Well, somebody else has got to put her to bed. Cause that's usually my thing when I'm in town, is I'm putting her to bed. And uh, yeah. But we, you know, we we travel a lot too. That that was actually probably the harder thing is the traveling. Yeah. You know, you got to go to a trial. You got to go to a trial, and they, they don't yep. care that you got class on Thursday night. <laughs> they, they don't care. You got to get yeah. out there and do the work. So, uh, I'm excited uh, when I get to travel to any any place. Our next our next trip that's defined we got a couple things in alabama and we got world of concrete in january or is anybody from geotech you You are oh yeah
4: you are vegas three times in three months next year january march for con expo and then a bachelor party in april so um everyone's like lucky you oh you've never been have you (laughs) (laughs) it's
3: groundhog day it's the same thing every single day
4: yeah. So, no, I really tried to get out of World of Concrete this year because ConAg was a, a no brainer, but there was no way to make that happen. So, but we'll see you there then.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, that you'll see the Add 10 Gallons Concrete podcast at World of Concrete. Shameless plug. Nice. Uh, official press partner of the event. So, we've got, uh, we've actually got, got a space. We're hoping that there's going to be several of our guests that have been on the program. They'll be able to come up. We can link up. We'll have a spot. We're going to have all our recording stuff with us. Uh, maybe we can get a couple great. snippets uh, there at your booth, or maybe you can come find us and we'll sit down and have a, a short chat about how things are going.
4: That would be really great because we are launching something at uh, World of Concrete. Shameless plug, little teaser there, um, but we do have something big coming that we'll be launching at World of Concrete, so we'd love to talk to whoever's willing to put a microphone in front of us about it.
0: I know, that's right. Well, kind so one, one of the other things, so when you were here last time, again, it was like 18 months ago, and you were on here, yeah. and... You guys hadn't hadn't really gotten like too far into it but you're really excited about like your machine learning ai stuff that was going on you kind of just getting your feet wet with that didn't have a lot of data you had some data it was like more like pilot programs but i I mean you were just over the moon about it back then can you tell me like what's the update on that because i've i've read some articles about some other people and then we had uh another company on here who was talking about their stuff and i was like oh call to Sarah we have to make sure we bring up the AI stuff
4: <laughs> so for the last few years we've been working on algorithms based on like all the databases and the data we're bringing together to show how we can optimize mixes for various things strength is obviously a big focus just because of what we did with sensors in the past but where we're going now is really looking at an entire mix management system that's backed by artificial intelligence so before we realized, okay, this algorithm that we have is great, it it can save people a lot of money, but we have to put into something usable that will actually feed through every day. So we've partnered with a company called Marcotte. um, And we're working with a couple of other batching and dispatch companies right now to integrate with their systems as well, um, to have that just kind of a very seamless setup. Uh, It is meant to displace the standard kind of QC systems that there are today, but to have a lot more features in it, and just ways that we're able to Bring more benefit back to the business and it's really been customer driven so with our ai council all the ready mix partners that we've had it's really just based on their insights and saying well this is how i use the system every day and this is how it could be made better but we're really trying to get people away from having to rely on spreadsheets at all for any of their quality stuff that they're doing and and backing it up with artificial intelligence so there are a couple of other companies that also have algorithms but from my understanding we're the only ones that have put it onto a proper platform that can be used on a daily basis and integrated throughout your, you know, your whole company's production and hopefully get to a point where we can push those AI mixes back right to the batching system and have it um, a very continuous loop. So that's what we're doing. Uh, We launched this in September at NRMCA. Uh, The feedback was overwhelmingly positive, and I think that's always a good problem to have, but it's really making our whole team Recalibrate and say, okay, I think we've built something bigger here than we expected. So we're really just kind of trying to hone in on that now. And by Conexpo, I think we'll have a have a proper understanding of of what we've truly built. Yeah, I feel like every
0: week you guys are hiring somebody new on the team, and I'm like, what in the world is going on over there that you need to hire that many people?
4: Yeah, we are trying. Um, It's you know the labor shortage is really real, and of course, that concrete experts are really really difficult to find. Um, but yeah, we are, we are hiring a lot. So there's so many companies right now, especially tech companies that are just doing mass layoffs. And we're like, okay, let's see if we can get them, you know? Uh, so that's, that's where we're at now, but we, we need a big team to kind of scale that yeah, up. So
0: you're more of a tech company than you are necessarily a concrete company. You can almost teach, you know, one of the, I posted the clip on LinkedIn the other day that, uh, from your podcast, uh, that kind of got us talking again, oh, okay. that was one of the greatest statements really of any podcast we had that in the year of 2021 or it was like they had a lot of people on their team that didn't know anything about concrete and it was like well how are you going to design something that you Mm -hmm. don't know anything about well you have to get out there and learn it And to put those like engineers out into the field and you scared them straight and they're like okay okay i get it what what we're dealing with has real world consequences this is real out here we need to get back let me get back to the comfort of my desk but at least i understand what i need to be putting
4: yeah exactly i think there's very um most of the positions that we have i would say like our more successful people didn't really have a strong understanding maybe they had you know a relative that worked in the industry or maybe they sold something similar my team is very different because my team is the one that's based internationally. And so therefore, we needed to have people that have a good understanding of the business to come back and really understand how we get into each market. But here in North America, most of, our, most of our people, except for on the R&D team, of course, because that's very concrete focus. Like, yes, we're a tech company. We would consider ourselves to be a tech company, but we really pride ourselves on that having the expertise in here so that we can really contribute to the problems, not just trying to sell sensors, but actually trying to kind to solve problems that are happening on the job site. But most of the other people, I'd say like all business development, any marketing roles, any software developers, like you were saying, they don't really need that understanding, but we can immerse them pretty quickly. Honestly, people fall in love with our industry. Like once, it, it doesn't seem like an appealing one to kind of come into, but everyone's so laid back and really genuinely enjoys being around each other and going to trade events and like learning about the new stuff. And technology adoption is slower, but it's growing. So it's really appealing. And I think people get really hooked on this like laid back type of culture that's still very much um, professional, um, but also making a huge impact, I think. So maybe I'm just speaking from my own bias, but I, I can't imagine working in a different industry. But I, I, you hear that a lot from our salespeople. It's like, I just love our clients. I'm like, yeah, they're great for the most part, <laughs> but yeah, they're great everybody's got a couple right but for the most part it's a really laid-back industry to be in where people are excited about what you're doing and then if you come from other tech companies maybe you didn't really have that experience so i think it just i think people really love it
3: yeah no that's awesome and and actually let's talk about adoption uh, a little bit because i mean this this growth that you guys are experiencing obviously you need customer adoption and we talk Mm -hmm. about the dichotomy of the industry a lot on this podcast, whereas you have newer, more tech-centric based uh, people coming into the industry at a much lower rate than the older generation is and they're retiring. So the adoption of technology in general that you're seeing, describe the ratio between the older demographic uh, finally adopting newer technology and trying to learn it and younger people within the industry driving it and and what you guys have seen in your growth because of that
4: oh i'm gonna i'm gonna tell a funny story just cause, just because it comes right to my brain but um obviously we've been doing this for, for a long time and i think the older demographic gets a bit of a bit of a bad rap sometimes which isn't really fair i think that they're not necessarily I think they're willing to change, but we just have to be patient and show them the value and not kind of push it on them because I think that things are just changing so rapidly right now that it just sparks a lot of unnecessary fear because we're trying to bulldoze our way through it instead of just taking our time, educating them, like when I'm showing my dad how to use the computer, he's like, don't do it for me, like show me how to do it. You know, it's that kind of concept. But there's also this this interesting part of, you know, me being a young woman still in my twenties walking around telling people who have been doing this for 20, 30 years, you know, a different way that they can do it. And, you know, they they don't really think of that as they think of their experience as, as being more credible and even companies that have invested a lot of money into our product and have said, we want to go ahead and, and use this or resell it or whatever. A lot of the time they'll start to kind of ideate right in front of me of, you know, this is I think we should approach it this way. And how do we get success in the market and how do we use this? Meanwhile, I'm sitting there with all of the answers but they, they, they are hell bent on figuring it out themselves, even though we've done this a million times over. And a lot of the time you just kind of have to let them come to this idea on their own, because I, I, I just think when people have been in the industry for a long time, their experience is obviously going to cloud how receptive they are. And I, I had somebody actually tell me that it was really sweet how much I wanted to change the industry. And I was like, please don't call me sweet. My mother doesn't call me sweet, because I'm not sweet. But um, (laughs) you know, and that's kind of the challenge. Sometimes it's not everyone is like that. But I told this individual, I was like, it's very disappointing to hear you speak to me that way. Because you've been in the industry for a long time, I look up to somebody like you. And instead of sitting here going, how can we help you get there? you're just sitting here and patronizing me instead. And that's kind of disappointing. But that's not everyone. I think there's a lot of people in the industry that see the change that's happening. They want to leave their mark and they're really excited about working with companies like ours to actually help us get there. But you just have to find the right people. It's a Very long-winded answer, but yeah.
0: No, 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 no. You're, you're the guest. People don't want to hear what we have to say anymore. They're, they, like, <laughs> they like the people that come on here these days. So, but I did like what you talked about, uh, letting customer think it's their idea. And Just guiding him to that, I do that with my wife all the time, it works really well.
4: Yeah, she obviously I mean, I doesn't, think doesn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody
0: in my family listens like, guys, we have the, the leading concrete podcast in the whole world. They're like, Oh, that's really sweet, so cute!
1: Yeah, so cute.
0: You look great on camera, honey. Like, you, know, and, and like, <laughs> you don't want to listen to any of it. I
4: don't really like concrete. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just about being um, patient. And I think the older demographic is coming around too, because the younger demographic is pushing, but I think the younger demographic also needs to just be patient. And I think we we see that with everything in the world when there's like fast change in anything, whether it's like socio- sociological or whether it's like fast driving or automated cars, whatever it is, people are afraid if you do not take time to really, put it in their hands the way that they can understand it. Um, so it's really about us being patient and learning learning from their experience, acknowledging their experience and acknowledging that their fear is like accurate, but also just making sure that we're not selling to these people, it's really not sales, it's more like change management, right? You are really sitting down with people and helping them understand where things are going instead of pushing it onto them. And, and that's that's what I've seen just from my maybe our own experience of trying to push things on people too quickly here but even just other companies that have tried to move too fast and then they they just don't iron out all of those fears and until it's kind of too late
2: i think it was the last episode that we were talking about aci and kind of how slow they are to adopt or change things you know with the Mm -hmm. with the rapidly advancing technology that we do have in the industry what i wanted to ask you was do you think that your technology is going to be affecting some of these ACI or ASTM uh, guidelines that we're kind of seeing now and if they if they are probably going to affect it and maybe change that do you think they'll even change in the next handful of years or will it be like a decade or so
4: I think I mean with some of the new technology that we're working on it's the, the stuff that we have now that's commercial it all falls in with ASCI standards at the moment and ACI code sorry um, and we've lobbied with many, um, you know, I, we've recently gotten the codes, the ACI equivalent done in Mexico, Chile and Peru, and we're working on some other countries now that does take time, but that doesn't actually necessarily stop people from using the technology. You'll still find your it really does need to be done in parallel. Otherwise, organizations like ACI won't see the need for the change. Like, they have to see that urgency themselves. I think we're betting on the fact that it will, that they will come up. And we're obviously very active members with ACI. We, we plan to kind of go down that path with some of the new technology that we're bringing, but even maturity, for example, I think is a really big miscon- misconception that maturity isn't in, in the codes, but it, it is, it's in the ACI 318 code. It's just not something that is advertised very well. And so when people, a lot of the time we'll have people say, well, I would love to use this technology, but unfortunately, until it's in the codes, I can't really use it. Then I turn around and go, well, Paul, if I tell you it's in the codes, will you buy it then? Because I I can do that, you know? But it's just because a lot of the stuff is already in there, just in very infancy form, and there's just not enough awareness around it. But we already, I think in 2017, we actually saw ACI uh, change their code to say that measuring institute strength, just using cylinder brakes, it's no longer an accepted form on its own in the wintertime, because of the liability of those cylinders not being, um, you, not, you just don't know if those cylinders get put in a place that's not accurate. So, I mean, they already are kind of doing that. You won't see that on the flip side in the summertime of saying, oh, well, if you use a different form, you can move quicker because there's no liability piece to that. But I think if you're approaching these organizations and showing them what can be done safer with higher quality things like that. And you're appealing from that perspective. And there's a benefit that's not just money, but it's also on the quality side. I I think you can get things done like that, but you can't do it alone either. So even in a couple of countries that we're working on right now, we're partnering with companies that would compete with us because they don't want to play commercial favoritism. So it really requires people coming together and doing it together.
2: Are there any countries with the many of them that you guys have worked with Are there any that are really quick to adopt some of this technology? And are some of them slower than even the United States? I
4: think one of the biggest successes that we had within Australia, um, and that is because the cost of their labor is so ridiculously high. And because there's so much pressure for them to be building, just the same way for us. We we were under a huge hot box of of pressure five years ago to build, 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 and so were they. But for them, even when they're doing the, the tests the sensors that we have when we're embedding them here in north america we don't tell people to compare it with the cost of cylinders because that's not really an accurate comparison you should be comparing it to the time and the money that you're going to save by speeding things up but in australia the sensors are cheaper because the cost of labor is so high and because the cost of materials is so high you can imagine the ability to save even on like a, a cubic yard of concrete in australia because they're having to ship so many of their materials overseas to get there the, the costs are huge. So we actually, that is the one market that we have a huge, huge adoption in that we never even bothered to lobby for the codes. Um, not to say that we won't, uh, but it just wasn't necessary. People saw this, they were like, we're going to follow the American standard because we need to do this. And we were able to, to save a lot of time and money on some major projects. And that was enough. That's all we really needed. Uh, I think we're hoping to see, we've seen that in Scandinavia as well. But the thing that's very different um, overseas compared to here is that the ready mix concrete companies have a lot more power in what they can use. For us, if somebody wants to use sensors, sometimes the owner gets involved, not usually, but Then you've got the GC, the sub, the engineer on record, the testing company, and there could be even more players involved in just making that one decision. Um, The company we work with in Sweden, they just decided they want to use sensors and that's what they now do um, because they have the power to decide what they use for their own testing. So it's just a bit of a different landscape because they have a little bit more wiggle room. Whereas here we're actually a lot more regulated I think than people would realize.
0: Well, this is now the third time we've had this conversation on this podcast and what you're really getting at here in the united states we ha- call that uh, performance versus prescriptive and mm-hmm. so if, if if you're in an area where you're gonna allow the concrete producer to go on a performance standard it means that they can decide what they want in that concrete they can decide how they're going to test for that concrete and as long as they meet Uh, Whatever the end results are, whatever the specs are, and a lot of times, as you mentioned earlier, strength is the number one spec they're looking for. And as long as they can hit all those targets, let them do it however they want. Uh, But here in the United States, that is not the norm. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure about Canada. I'm sure I'm going to guess it's probably similar, but it's prescriptive. We say no, you have to use this minimum amount of cement. You have to use this type of aggregate and this, you know, in this region. And you have to do this and you have to do that. And so when you mm-hmm. want to bring something like a sensor technology in and say, no, we'd like to do it a little bit differently, you get a lot of pushback. It's very difficult. Yeah.
4: Yeah, actually. So in Canada, it's actually really performance based. Um, now, every province is a little bit different. And I can't remember every province off the top, but most of our big ones are all performance based. And so it's a really easy market for us when it' not easy, but it's a more natural market when it comes to the mix optimization stuff that we're working on. Because even so, just as we're kind of building out our platform even further based on people's feedback, you know, one of the things that we have to do in the designs is make sure that we're allowing a lot of room for them to put everything that's been prescribed. And hopefully, even with that, we're still able to get. Um, some optimizations out of it which we have been able to do but it's just we're definitely going to be focusing more on the performance market because they, they're going to have more more flex room and, and power there but one of the big issues that is really funny because uh, on our team here we have some people that have worked in in concrete for 30 years on the qc side but in the canadian space and one of the issues that we're going to have with a qc system that's working with optimization and managing mixes is we need to get those test results back from the labs. Legally, that is a requirement, but I think there's like 5% of companies that are probably getting these on a regular basis. And um, you know, in Canada, the woman that we have on our team, she's like, well, of course they have to send them, it's the law. And I said, oh, honey, no. It, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, like some of our companies, they're, they have one person whose full-time job is just to hound the, the labs to get these results back. Um, and so they're just doing like the bare minimum what they need. They're not actually getting any information about their mix to kind of help them in the, the future. So if we ever have a chance of giving more power on the, on the performance side to producers and getting less, less prescribed and more performance, we need that data, otherwise it would just never happen. So this is an interesting challenge that we're, that we're working with right now, but fortunately here in Canada, it's very performance-based. But you know what, here's, here's, the, here's the interesting part. And this is me not being in a QC environment every day. I don't experience this every day, but this is just based on my observations. And I am just going to say that we do work very closely with a lot of really good labs that are like forward thinking, that get this, that are excited to be a part of this. So it's not everyone, but maybe it's more majority. I don't know. Um, but we, we've had some really good experiences and we've had some really difficult ones as well. And though it's because like from my perspective, the way that this whole thing is, is laid out, like, if you go to the UK, for example, where we have, we're we're starting to get a lot of business there, and we've invested in some people to be there full time. um, The contractors, a lot of the time, they're subbing out the testing companies. So the testing companies are reporting to the contractors in a lot of cases is the same thing in Dubai. When I was, you guys noticed that I was there, the contractors have authority over the testing companies, So the testing companies need to be performing and and bring that to them. But in our ecosystem, the testing companies are hired out by the owner. The owner has no understanding of what's going on on the job site. That's not their job to do that. They, They hire the people that are the experts to do it for them. Well, if a testing company brings back cylinders that don't come to fruition the way that they were supposed to, what do they get to do? They get to go test again. What does that mean they make more money they are literally incentivized to do things wrong because it will make more money i'm not saying that they do but if people want to do that there's an incentive kind of built in there to do it that way which is kind of crazy um now we see that very little actually happening because this 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 industry is based on relationships and we don't do that to each other but if those things do happen they actually benefit and it's just this very weird thing that's built in to the system to allow that to happen Um, in the first place. And so people want to be, you know, not genuine about things. It's, it's there for the taking, which is very bizarre.
0: Yeah. One of the problems here in the United States is that, uh, it's even worse now because of the labor shortage, but that the guy who, the, the young person who is on site, that's actually doing the testing, they're running the AirPods, making the cylinders, the person who's actually, that is the lowest job on the totem pole at that company it's cold or it's hot it's all night it's all day it is a young person who's not getting paid a whole lot of money and their training is very minimal you know you're not grabbing an engineer out of school and then teaching them how to do quality control testing the right and so these uh these young people are are in a thankless job and it's Nobody ever comes over and pats you on the back and says, wow, that was a really great air, air pot you're in there. Pre- appreciate that. No, they come over and they're like, why did you pull that slump cone so fast? And, oh, your, your air must be wrong. Run it again. Like, we don't mess up our, right. our air. You know, so there's all it's, it's a thankless job for not a lot of pay with horrible hours. And you're at the very low end of the totem pole. And, and so what kind of people yeah. are you going to attract? When you do that, and you've got all these testing companies, a lack of uh, candidates out in the marketplace right now, those people can uh, go find other jobs if they want to. And so what you end up with here in the United States is an incredibly adversarial relationship. It Mm -hmm. It is not teamwork with the testing agencies. It's actually concrete producers trying to keep their eye on the testing person. Like, okay, let me make sure this guy's actually doing his job correctly. Because if we have a problem with the cylinders, you know, it wasn't our concrete, it, it was the test guy. And so it ends up being yeah. incredibly adversarial.
4: Yeah, all the more reason to automate this, just pop in a sensor and let us do the rest of the work, no problem.
0: <laughs> but, but on a serious note, uh, w- without trying to turn this into a, to an infomercial, uh, but I, we do want all the AI info.
4: Yeah, it's very, we, we've genuinely built something that has already started to optimize mixes for some of our beta users. Um, one of the companies that we work with out of Louisiana on gel uh, materials, they ran some of their biggest mixes through the system and we were able to save 27% cement, 13% overall cost, and 24% CO2 on their mixes. Now, not all of them, are showing like those tremendous results, and some of them also have you know workability issues that we need to kind of understand and bring that those results back in and continue to train um, Roxy, which is her name. So we need her to continuously learn, and it takes time of running the mixes through the system over time and getting those testing records and bringing them back to actually get the, the real accurate results. They're one of the companies that we've we've worked with, the one that is letting us publicly use their numbers, but. We have quite a few other companies now and i think what we're noticing is that the really big companies they might be able to save five to ten percent cement and maybe around two to three percent overall cost and that's because they're doing a lot of initiatives right now already to be very lean and, and very accurate with their concrete but what they're doing is taking a lot of time and so forget about ai for a second one of the things that's really important for producers is that we have all of these systems and all of these products that are coming out to lower your carbon footprint and get leaner and get strength faster and use less water and whatever that is. And all of that information is sitting, it's not even information, it's data. We have data in pockets all over the place, data that's scattered and spread out and it's not actually coming together to help people make decisions about their concrete in a very easy way. And everyone's talking right now, the buzz is data, this data, that, but what good is data if you can't bring it into information? And that's what we've started to actually, do with our system is try to connect all of these things together. A lot of producers are, are still working with a lot of systems that are on premise. And so that takes time before we're able to actually create connections and bring all of that together. But that's what we're trying to do. So even just the ability to bring all of that data in one place and get people, you know, one of our, one of the companies that we worked with, they, they do about six weeks of material testing to test if their cement is actually what their supplier is providing because they wanna keep track of it themselves. Now that's not, that's something that they're already doing but we could do that for them instantly instead of having them spending the hours a day that they are tracking everything in spreadsheets and doing all of that manual work. So where AI comes into it is being able to bring all of that together of all of the, the past data on the mixes, like you said, the future performance requirements, the weather that day, the traffic reports, like whatever that actually might be bringing that all together in one place then ai can run some scenarios but at the end of the day ai is a tool it is not making the decision for us so what we're trying to do is bring all of that together powered by ai to give people the decision criteria and then actually let the experts use their expertise because i think what we see these days is that the experts that really need to drive the decision making around concrete they're just spending their entire day, they're putting out fires, consolidating data, talking to people on the phone, trying to run reports on an ad hoc basis, and they don't actually get to do this in a proactive way. And that's what we're trying to kind of clear space for them to do what they set out to do. And I, when we're talking about the labor shortage, I mean, we're trying to attract more people to this industry to actually become experts in this, because that's, that's a huge problem that we're going to be facing we need to give them systems that are fun to use like why would somebody be interested in coming into a space like this where everything is like super mundane and really difficult to read and they're doing all of this admin work and they're that that's all they're doing when they could just go work at a nine to five tech company where everything's like really automated and quick and and easy for them those are two different ways of life and the newer generation wants that so we kind of need to bring our systems up to speed to make it more appealing for them to even do the job.
3: In your opinion, is that what's going to drive adoption from the younger generation to kind of curb the labor shortage in a way? Like, recruiting is important, but is it is it kind of mm. up to the industry to change in order to become more desirable? Is that, is that how we fix this problem?
0: That's not how we've been looking at it. No,
3: it's not.
4: I mean, it's not the only solution, right? This is a bigger thing. When when we're talking, for example, in Canada, when we're talking about the healthcare system is broken and we can discuss our different healthcare systems another time. But one of the issues that we have is that we just don't have enough nurses. And if you want to bring more nurses in, well, you have to invest in that really early on before you're going to see that because they need to be interested in going to school. They need to be interested in doing those things. And then just to get them in the workplace to begin with, if you're talking about like a 10 year plan.
0: That's the message here, by the way, is exactly what right. you just laid out is the mindset here is like, oh, they must just not know that you can have a high paying job in a valuable career and be valued as a human being in a job with a lot of dignity uh, where you're creating things and creating things for other people. And you know, and maybe there's just not enough kids that are sixteen years old that are getting that message, and so we that need to know go it. It. we need to go tell them like, oh, you don't have to sit in a cubicle all day uh selling sensors for geotech. oh, I'm sorry, I mean that would be a phenomenal job. Yeah. <laughs> what am I saying It would be a phenomenal job
4: We only ask people to do that for a year or two but <laughs> that,
0: you
4: know <laughs> we that's just the starting ground of you know build their resilience no i'm but, i was I was um, teasing about
0: that you you guys actually look, no no b s that you guys do like a fun outfit. Uh, but there, we really don't yeah. think there's enough. That's the message here: is we don't think there's enough sixteen-year-olds sitting in high school that are getting the message that there is an alternative to what you've, you're being sold as your career options. And if you would, uh, you know, care to look at, you know, heavy yeah. construction, there's there's money to be made and there's dignity to be
1: had.
4: Well, somebody that grew up in a small town where if you weren't going to be a lawyer, teacher, doctor, or take over dad's business, you didn't really know what else was out there. So, so I relate to that, in like a very big way. And I think that's obviously the first step. But then if we compare what's happening with nurses now, the issue is not that we don't have enough. It's that they get into the system. It's so complicated. It's, they're unfairly treated. The systems that they're using take forever. They're working way more hours than what they're told because again, healthcare in Canada is a government situation. Um, and government takes longer to adopt things. So all of the systems that people are using right now are taking time away from them, like saving lives. And it's a huge burden on them. Why would they do that when they can go work in tech sales and make a hundred K in a two year period? Like, so it's not just about making sure that we bring people into the industry. It's about making it appealing for them to stay because there are too many options now that require very little education. It to our sales team. They're amazing. But like I required very little education to start what I was doing. Um, so if we don't make sure that it's appealing to stay, why wouldn't they just switch? That's something we have to consider as well.
2: I think the industry has gotten better at being more appealing to younger people over the years. I know it's not that long ago, but 10 years ago when I first got into the industry, it was a little bit more that old school mentality, you know, Hey, you're going to work 12 to 14 hour days, six days a week more than likely. And that's just how it's going to be. And then, and it may still be that way, and I know it's still that way in in several mm-hmm. several uh, parts of the country and with several companies. But it's uh, I think the the industry is just realizing that you know the culture is changing and people don't want to work like that anymore, especially if you want to you know have a family and and have a, a life on the weekends. You know, working working the way I used to work at my old job, my Current yeah. family situation probably wouldn't just jive very well. You know, you can't. I would. I would find out I was working Saturday on Friday afternoon. You know, that just that doesn't really work that well with two kids at home. It's just uh, the industry is getting better, but I think what we struggle with is just getting the word out. And I think that's what the the CIM program is really trying to do. And mm. I've, I volunteered my services to try to help out with that, as far as going to speak at uh, high schools. Uh, you know, my my. school that i went to back home a couple of the local ones around here because i still live in a rural community and just like you said before if you don't if you don't have the ambition to go to secondary education or to even go further and become that doctor or lawyer or whatever or take over some small business here at home or work for the highway department there's not really much here
4: I agree that there's there's a lot more that's changing. And I think I even have people reach out to me now saying, you know, I want to understand what it is you're doing. And I talk to them about how the industry is like it's making such an impact at the end of the day, like, I think we all kind of get that warm feeling when we pass by a building that we were a part of making. I think that's really that's a really cool thing um, to be able to drive by and show your kids that this is what you know I worked on. And that's that's really cool. I just I also see on the other side that once people come in, if we can automate really mundane tasks that are taking away from them being challenged and using their brain and making an impact, like people now want to make an impact, whatever way you want to shake that and how you want to phrase that is you know, is subjective to the person. But there's a lot of we've done a lot of work with a lot of QC managers, QC directors, all people that are in quality control and they're definitely not bored, but sometimes they're just barely getting through the day and they would like to be able to do more but everything that's set up because everything is scattered everywhere and they spend half of their day just kind of doing data entry or inputting things or trying to call labs to get their records to come back they don't get that opportunity to and i think we could make a lot more impact in this industry if we made it that simple for the people with the brains to do those things because yeah i just i that's what we've seen anyways with how we've interacted with our producers and just seeing the things that they want Um, to be included in the system as we continue to develop it is is really cool
0: you started hitting on mixed design optimization i mean in that that's the stuff i i absolutely love like if i if i had a job where you told me like all my all i would do all day is like research on mixed design optimization but i would get bored after about six months so i'm glad i don't do that but when we talk about mixed design optimization one of the things i uh you know we've been touching here like oh you can reduce cement here for this person or that person but what what you touched on just now was actually is to me is more interesting and that is when do you do mixed design optimization and you what you said a moment ago Sarah was that uh people are doing they're actually paying attention to their mixed designs when they're doing submittals and the other time people are paying attention to mixed designs is when there's a problem and it's not it's not proactive. Uh, it's very. It's very rarely proactive. It's wow. The sand is horrible, and um, I need to get a new source or something. And so now all of a sudden they're be, they're trying to solve a problem, yeah. and and they're they're behind, and it's always putting out fires. Um, when I've never used an AI system to do mixed design optimization. So one of the questions one of the questions right. I have for you in that regard, is. How much is the AI taking in on account of the material type, material shape, and, and gradations of, of those materials? Is it, is it looking at those types of variables uh, when it's looking at yeah. mixed design optimization and, and how so? How so? What, what's, it, what's it looking for?
4: Well, you know, we have probably a database of about 100,000 mixes at this point. I, I don't know when when the number came from last time, but um, those because we're getting all of the data these days directly from the batching and dispatch system, whatever variables are existing there, we are getting as well to be able to analyze further. Um, one of the very interesting, you know, kind of interacting with our customers, one idea that came from a, a producer partner of ours was that hey, right now we would really like to be able to track how the quality of our cement or our sand or this is going over time and get triggered when it's kind of going into a bit of a danger zone so that we can do something about it before something happens. And that is directly attributed to like the supplier and all the batches that it's coming from. But um, that is kind of one of the things that becomes very interesting the further you go down this path. because. Again, even though we're all using very similar batching and dispatch systems, there's about five or six of them out there that everybody here uses. Everyone's using them differently. Everyone's putting the inputs in that they want to put in. So it really just depends on what's available to them. Um, but what we're looking for is just the when we're putting in our specifications, we're saying we want to get at least you know this strength at this time. We want to be able to uh, keep within a a 0.3 to 0.6 water to cement ratio. We need to have a minimum of this much cement. Like we can program exactly what needs to be done there as granularly as we want. And we're continuing to add more kind of prescriptions that would need to go in there um, for the producer, just as we learn what is required. Every state is obviously quite different. So um, as we start to learn about all the things that they're asking for, we can start to learn for all of those things. But at the beginning, this all started as just a Let's look at strength um only, but now we're starting to see that we might need to look at slump and and moisture content. Those might be things that come next down the road yeah
0: we we work in an interesting industry we have a just in time production process for a perishable product, and that that's not normal <laughs> that's not, that's not a normal thing mm-hmm. to be involved in so uh, any time that you can reduce the the variances and you could tighten up those standard devi- deviations from mix to mix and you can have a little bit more accuracy it's going to be great the the issue we run into in this industry is that everything we're dealing with is a natural material and in natural ma- well almost mm-hmm. everything illic gancy will be mad because you know his isn't natural but we and we want fibers <laughs> and all the mixes right Elek? uh but the natural materials are going to have natural fluctuations and so cement is yeah. an engineered product but it's coming from calcium carbonate mainly and that's a natural material uh, that's going to have natural fluctuations and they're doing their best to control it but then the sands coming right out of the ground just being washed the man sands the byproduct of the rock all those things are natural as well so as you get into different seams and you get different characteristics you could have changes from load to load in your raw materials Mm -hmm. that then you're then having to adjust on the fly and so I. I mentioned that difficulty in the production of raymix concrete because uh, one of the things when I think about machine learning and AI, it's only as good as the data it receives. and And so I'm wondering, how often is the AI needing to be fed new data? Are they needing samples every single day? You know, twice a day. How often uh, are people having to to do work? to feed data to this machine? Because I just don't know. I, I just don't know. I just don't know. And I'd like to know, is that a yeah. process that, oh, you got to go really hard on your your sampling, all this qualitative information has to come in for the first couple of weeks and we're good? Or is this something they're going to have to do forever so that, that you know the AI actually can keep up with what's going on?
4: The ideal scenario is not something that's currently happening today. And that's why this is not just something that Geotech is going to be able to fix. This really requires a lot of industry partners to come together um, and, and get all of this data into one place. But ideally we want, if you are working with the smart mix system as your daily system for anything mix, mix management, it's allowing you to produce submittals and, and look at your testing reports and everything. And it's all sitting right there. Um, realistically, all of the data of our everyday production should be going in there all the time and in real time. So right now, the companies that because we're set up with uh, we're connected to a company called Marcot. We're integrated with their batching and dispatch system so that any of the producers that are currently using their system right now, they could get a link from Marcot system, plug it into our system. And within 30 minutes, they have all of their historical data from as far back as they want to go. It's really, really quick. And it really is that easy. And so now those Marcot users are getting all of their data in Geotech system instantly. So it's just a matter of having the discipline of making sure that we're getting all of that data, but ideally we want that to be automatic. Um, We don't want this like constant, even if we're able to get those um, testing reports that are coming back from the testing companies, we'd love to have that automatically read through an, an email system and uploaded immediately into the system so that people are not spending time actually putting in the data they're spending time analyzing information that's coming to them. But that is not something that we can do alone. There are other companies in the, in the industry, market, BCMI are a couple that, um, that really share that vision with us of being able to kind of elevate the whole industry together. Um, but it, it's not a one company goal. Uh, that is something that is required for everyone to integrate. So if we're talking about load to load differentiation, well, the best way to be able to measure that is with sensors on the trucks that would then integrate into the systems. And there's a couple of good companies that are currently doing that. So once we continue to get those QC, that QC dispatch, um, batching kind of loop closed, we want to start adding more things to the system. But again, the goal is to have nobody manually entering data because we just want them to be able to analyze what's in there in real time.
0: Yeah, that would be nice. I don't I just Personally, can't, I'm trying to envision a scenario where you cannot manually enter the data because one of the one of the issues with aggregate gradations, somebody's got to run the gradation and somebody's got to tabulate the results that come out of that. So unless you're um, just going to take the word for whatever the, the cert is coming out of uh, your aggregate supplier, and if you just take that and I mean, because that's ballpark too, right? I mean, they're testing every 400 tons, every 500 tons, whatever it is. And you know you're gonna get your load of twenty tons of material, and you're just assuming it's in that eight hundred ton window of when they tested last and when they're gonna test test next, and so you you would just hope that it's and in generally you know it is it is fairly accurate, and that's assuming they ran the test right and everything's hunky dory, but I so that information have to come from the aggregate supplier into a portal that is gonna link up to the to the AI mill certs from the cement company need to be put into a system so that it's going into the ai and the, and then you know from that point uh you can get like your temperature and everything else that you need to then have as, as many variables understood as possible to make the mix as optimized as possible and right. so my question my question becomes how do you bring together the cement guys and the aggregate guys and get them on board? And what's the value prop to them to say, this is uh, what we need to do to, to push this industry forward.
4: Yeah. I think right now we are just really tr- trying to focus on a smaller group because we know that this is something that if we, we really need to be focused if we want to see change on solving incremental issues. Right. So, But over time, I think the best way, and that this is what we've seen with our own technology is, well, these suppliers and these other companies that are creating technology, at the end of the day, what is our role in this industry? It is to support our customers and the companies that are making the concrete. And if we generate scenarios and generate technology that's gonna benefit them, but they need their other suppliers to step up to be a part of the solution as well, that really needs to be a pull and a drive that comes from them. And that will happen, but we have to make sure that we have actually identified the right problems that are worth them vouching for. And that's why we spend right now so much time within this group of people in our AI council, just really understanding what are the biggest pains that we can solve for you. Let's figure out what we can do on our own. And then like, as this evolves, I think eventually the industry will have to kind of come up um to play but that could be like 10 20 years before it looks like other industries um but that really needs to be driven by the people that are buying your services and and what you're doing and and it does require us to all kind of work together it it might
0: it might what here in the United States it's probably going to be driven by state agencies so what what's Mm. happening right now is a lot of states have moved to e-ticketing for the loads that come out you know so they're not even printing batch tickets for the truck drivers to carry around anymore. Everything is electronic. So the truck drivers have iPads now and everything everything is electronic. It's going to the state in electronic ticketing format. And I think there's a way that here in the United States that if you're working with the state agencies to say, hey, all that information, link it over here and we can actually do something great for the people in this Mm -hmm. state. The, one of the issues, though, is, is as far as it goes in the United States, the, the amount of concrete work that is regulated by the states is only like 15% of all concrete work. So the state's investing heavily in these systems. They're making people convert to these electronic systems, but the companies don't have to actually use them. And the companies that aren't doing any state work don't have right. to convert at all. But in situations where right. you have these electronic ticketing systems – all the information you're looking for at Geotech is already in there. You just need it. You just need it to migrate over. So I think that's an attitude that if you're not already talking to some of these state agencies, uh, you might start looking into that and seeing if you can link up with the ones that are electronic.
4: Yeah, it's a really good point, especially because there would be value as long as the state agencies see the value in it for themselves to be able to be more efficient on their side. There's a benefit for them to kind of enforce it as well. And there's probably a lot, you know, when we talk about all the administration issues that our producers are facing, I'm sure that that pain is felt at the state agency level as well, trying to bring everything together for their own benefit.
0: I'm not going to pretend to know how a state agency thinks. I've, <laughs> okay. I've banged my head against that wall, so but you know, good point. It's interesting avenue. All right, let's uh, let's let's bring this party back to life. So. It's been 18 months since we saw Sarah on a video screen like this. And in that time, yeah. she has been let down, let out of her COVID lockdown country, flown around the world, and she has told us she has such good stories for best things she's seen uh, in her last 18 months oh, of travel. So you are now on the spot. Miss McGuire, hit us with the best stories you've got in the last 18 months.
4: Well, the one was definitely going to England with a broken foot. That was just it, for all... Um, in terms of words that was demoralizing um, to have to not you know to just not even be able to leave your hotel room without I I brought one of our co-op students with us she got a free trip to England but she had to carry my coffee for me it was like could not do anything for myself and as somebody Mm -hmm. who is a very just go 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 person that was terrible Um, but another one because you brought up Alec already I'm gonna call him out a little bit because he broke his foot as well would you believe that when he came to Germany? So he came to Germany to go to the Bauma exhibition and we met up for dinner like the night before and had a great time, fine, no problem. The next day I I said to him, you know, you didn't even make it to the trade show. He sends me a picture of his foot and it, it looked exactly like mine from six months ago. And I told him like, are you getting help? Are you okay? Is everything fine? It's like, no problem. I'm, I'm able to get around. Okay, no problem. And I sent him a picture of what my foot looked like. I said, if your foot goes from this to this, you need to go to the hospital. And sure enough, it was like completely plumped up. He did not end up going to the hospital. He somehow managed to get around and then went to the doctor when he got back. He didn't even make it to the trade show. He like missed the curb. At the entrance of the trade show, and like never even made it into Bama. So, what a special cat.
3: <laughs> on one hand, uh, I want to laugh at him for literally tripping over his own feet, but on the other hand, I mean, old boy soldier through and did the manly thing and didn't go to the doctor until he absolutely had to. So, but he also didn't go to the trade show. He's gonna be sent him to Germany. He gets a C minus.
0: <laughs> but.
4: I can't believe it. he made it all the way there, and it's like a huge event, right? Half a million people go to this event. It's once every three years. It's incredible. And he, I don't know for a fact that he never got in, but um, that's what I heard. He certainly, no, nope, I heard
0: he never. I heard he never made it. <laughs> in? I mean, that's what I heard on oh. my podcast from Sarah okay. McGuire. <laughs>
4: Well, he never made it either. Either it was that or it was just some ruse to make an excuse for not coming to the booth. Uh, Either way.
0: Called him out twice Uh, in the same story. (laughs) It's all rumors. She doesn't have any substantiation. (laughs) Incredible.
4: But yeah, I saw that picture of his foot. I felt terrible for him. But also I was like, I've been there and it's not fun. So.
0: Oh my gosh, that's great. Well, that explains why his photos from that event, I remember seeing him online and his photos were just him like at tourist attractions outside. Nothing was from inside the store. Yeah. You know, things are adding up. I don't want to say he totally bailed. I'm, I'm not saying, that. you know, many people are saying that he totally bailed.
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: Many people are saying.
4: I know you've all been asking, <laughs> but. Well, I, I will say this was not recent, but the first time that I ever went to uh, Qatar, um, or like first time I went to Dubai, I went over to Qatar for like two days for some meetings and was going to hop back over very close together. And they did not believe me, that I worked in concrete and they looked at my passport and they were just like, absolutely not. And they they genuinely thought that I was a Russian um, woman who takes money for um, fun time. But they thought that I was a Russian prostitute. Because that's a very common thing over there. Um, like Eastern European, it's a, it's a big business. And they I was so young, I started bawling my eyes out. I was terrified. They detained me. They were like, how is it possible that you work in concrete? Like, how did you get this blah, blah, blah? And the problem that they had was that they saw in my passport that like I had lived in Hong Kong and like my visa was still in there. And they just they were like red flags all over people your age don't travel by themselves and it it turned into a whole thing. And then finally, I just had them call the company that I met with there and they just like cleared me and didn't even apologize. And I said, my God, why didn't I just do that from the beginning? But it was just it was a complete mess. And so now whenever I'm going through security, it's like short, sweet, simple answers, very quick. Because that was a terrifying experience. Sarah, I don't
3: know if we're the only people to ever ask you this question, but if you're ever asked again, what's your craziest job
0: story? That's it. That's the one. (laughs) That's it. That's the one. Yeah, that's a good. That's
4: the one. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Yeah, well,
0: you know, I I don't know that I would have picked it up with the red hair in the last name McGuire. Like you just, you're just screaming, you know, Irish or Scottish or yeah. Irish. Yeah. But with the with the blonde hair, you kind of, you know, what I can almost see the Russian vibes. Now, now, what your work history is, I'm still, you know, concrete or above board here. We're gentlemen, but uh, yeah, Yeah. I could almost see the the Eastern (laughs) European thing. That's hilarious. That is really funny.
4: Yeah that was well not at the time but yeah afterwards
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah i didn't know if i was ever going to come home again and you know the funny thing too was that the first time that i went over there um my my dad's in his like late 70s and he's traveled a little bit but you know he's he's a truck driver 30 years like just a very like this type of industry kind of guy and um when I went over there, I told him that I was leaving about 48 hours before I left. He just sent me a news article about a woman that was like detained in Dubai for um, not wearing like the scarf properly. Like some Dutch woman um, was essentially like harassed or something. And then she reported it and then she ended up getting in trouble. And he just sent me that article. No context, no safe travels, no careful when you go there. Just send me the article. I was like, Okay, I'm sure I'll be great, but thanks for the positive uh, energy there, Dad. That's great.
2: On the short list of things that I'll probably never be accused of being, I would say Russian (laughs) prostitute is probably right up at the top there.
4: Probably there. (laughs)
2: Yeah, you're you're safe
3: there, Joey. Yeah. But uh, Joey, Joey gets Joey is not immune from getting what's the word I'm looking racially for here? profiled. Profiled, yeah. Joey is not immune from getting profiled either. Because once upon a time when we were driving across the Canadian border, I mean, my fresh baby face, I look like I'm twelve. But Joey, looking like a uh, a fifty year old man out of the hills nice. of Kentucky, uh, we're going across the border, and the agent hands me my passport back, and then she goes to hand Joey's back, and she stops, looks at him, she goes. You got any no. guns in the car? <laughs> and they search our car now, because you, Joey looks like he owns several. <laughs> I was like, Well, that's well,
1: that's
2: profiling, and profiling is wrong, lady. <laughs> when Josh is correct, we were driving into Canada and she handed Josh's passport back. She handed mine or she was about to hand mine back, and she didn't ask Josh if we had guns in the car. She asked me if I owned guns, which was weird. And mm. Oh, right, right, right. I don't lie That's to weird. people, it's even worse, think, yeah, really. they're at home, <laughs> and sure enough, they made us pull over. <laughs> yeah.
1: and I lost most <laughs> of tragic, them in a boating
2: accident, boating so. Accident. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, sure enough, they made us pull over, and they wow. searched the entire car for anything they could find and sent us all wow. now, the merry way.
0: Now, the best profiling story of Joey was actually when he went to Mexico. And I was like, everybody thought he, it was like right around the, the time, like the American sniper movie came out and everybody thought he was Chris Kyle. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't. I, I got a know lot this. of Chris <laughs> Kyle. I got a lot of Chris that's Kyle.
2: Hilarious. It's like, Oh, you look just like American sniper. Yeah. That's the like, best compliment you can give to, Joey. <laughs> Except for when they come from counting <laughs> yeah, on my head.
4: <laughs> I mean, right. that's yeah. a pretty, uh, that's a big compliment. I think it just looks wise. That's a compliment.
0: Well, and so Joey, Joey shows up in, in Mexico and he kind of looks, he does have, resemble Chris Kyle a bit, but he, you know, he's six foot one or six foot two and, you know, white guy with, with a beard and an American flag hat on mm-hmm. and a camo hat probably. And so, yeah, he fit the bill. Everybody's like, whoa, you know, <laughs> I like, I'll
4: you know. do it. Yeah.
0: Well, Sarah, I really, really appreciate you coming on here. Those are some really fantastic stories. You really bought that brought the heat today. Um, we could have really probably talked forever. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you at the World of Concrete, and we will get the latest on what the big announcement is coming out of Tech then.
4: Thank you so much for having me again. It was great to be back.
0: Absolutely. Talk to you later. See you, Sarah.
3: All right, and that's going to do it for episode 40 of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. We appreciate you guys listening in with us, and thanks again to Sarah for being such a great guest. Uh, we definitely look forward to seeing her at the World of Concrete and what Chia Tech has to present there. Speaking of which, we will be at the World of Concrete, and if you will be there as well, please reach out to us, schedule a time where we can meet up, say hi, say thanks for listening, and if you or your company has anything to promote, uh, we'd love to be the platform to help you do so. We will be at the show Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and be presenting a video element of topics and content that we find interesting at the show. We'll also have some one-on-one interviews, and we'll also have a podcast wrap-up after each day, as well as maybe some surprise pop-in guests from past and new guests for the show. So uh, stay tuned for that. Keep it locked on our LinkedIn and YouTube pages for that uh, video content. And if we don't see you at the World of Concrete, we will see you back here for the next episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Y'all be good.